You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killian. morning. My name's Zach. I'm a pastor here at New Hope. And uh, I want to start by asking you a very important question. Uh, show of hands, who here has seen John Wick? Me too. Great movie. Fantastic movie. That's my guy. He's awesome. Um, if you're not familiar with the story of John Wick, I'd like to tell you the story of John Wick. The movie starts out with John and uh, we see that his wife has recently passed from cancer. And when she, when she died, before she died, she, she went and she bought him a little beagle puppy. And she leaves him a note saying that she wanted to leave him something to remember her by and something that he could love because John needs something to love. And so she leaves him this puppy. And so now that his wife is gone, he's got two things in life that he cares about. And that's that beagle puppy and a 1970 fastback Mach 1 Ford Mustang. And it is beautiful. And I want it. And so do the other people in the movie, which is where we're headed. John goes to the gas station and he's filling up his car and this thug leans in and he says, nice car, how much? And John says, it's not for sale. So the kid rattles something off in Russian to him, smarting off. Well, John responds in Russian. So that's like, wait, 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 why is he no Russian, right? And so that night, these thugs follow John home, uh, home to his house and John hears a bump in the night. So he wakes up. And he's going through his house, and he gets jumped by several of these thugs. And his puppy comes to his aid. And it comes up, and it grabs the leg of one of the guys. And the guy turns around, and he kicks the puppy as hard as he can, punting it across the room, instantly killing the beagle puppy. I know. That's what you're supposed to feel. Yeah, because then they steal his car, and John spends the rest of the movie killing everyone that had anything to do with anyone that had anything to do with this dog and this car coming out of the picture. And we watched that movie and we're like, oh my gosh, kill them all. Go get them. Kill them. They killed the puppy. They stole the car. We hate these guys. We love it. It's one of the greatest action movies ever made. You probably shouldn't watch it. It's incredibly violent, but it's so good. But the question is, should we get that excited about revenge films? Should we get that worked up and that like invested in something about a guy killing countless people over a puppy dog? But we do. We do. But what does Jesus have to say about that? And so I want to go to Matthew 5, 38 through 42, where Jesus says this. He said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Okay. Where is this coming from? Where's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? What is that? If we go to Exodus, that's the second book of the Bible. God's people have been living in slavery 
for hundreds of years. They've been enslaved by the Egyptian people. And God sends the prophet Moses to go deliver the Israelites, God's chosen people, from Egypt. And so he brings them out of Egypt into freedom, but now Israel doesn't know how to live. They've been slaves forever. They've never known anything but slavery at this point. So God gives them a groundwork of laws to base everything off of in their society. And some of those are like, if you murder, the state will murder you back. If you steal, you will pay back what you stole or you will pay back the amount that it's worth. If you injure somebody and they can't work, then you will pay for their time that they couldn't work, that they'll be compensated. And you'll pay for their medical bills. And you'll pay uh, by making sure that they are healed. You'll, you'll spend time to make sure that they're healed. And so what does that do? That does three things. That says that, one, the punishment's fair. That the crime fits the punishment. That they're equal, right? It's not like, oh, you know, if you kill somebody, you pay a fine and then you're good. Or if you steal something, we put you to death. No, the crime fits the punishment. It's fair. What else does it do? It means that everybody's equal. Nobody's exempt. The law is the law. It doesn't matter if you're a king or you're a slave. The law is the law. If you break the law, you will get the same punishment as anyone else that broke that law. Nobody's above it. Nobody's beneath it. It's equal. It's fair. The third thing is it's a deterrent. It says, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to steal something because then I've just got to pay it back. I don't want to hurt somebody. Then I've just got to pay for their time off. It says, don't do the bad thing. It's stupid. You're just going to get bit in the end. It's going to find you out. And so we see this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Crime fits the punishment. It's fair. It's, it keeps you from breaking the law. And Jesus says, yeah, that's all well and good. And, and it's true. He said, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. What's that mean? Why that? There are groups of Christians, there are denominations of Christians or individual Christians. I've struggled with this when reading this passage that take it as a, this applies to all forms of evil, that we are not to resist evil. We are not to stand up in the face of evil. We're just supposed to lie down and take it. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. This is not a call for pacifism in all, in all situations. This isn't a call for never resisting evil. And I think you can prove it scripturally. Because here's my thing. The examples Jesus gives, he doesn't say, if somebody puts a sword to your throat, lean into it. He doesn't say, if somebody rapes your spouse, give them your daughter. Well, he doesn't say that. He says, if somebody slaps you across the cheek, Give them the other cheek. If somebody wants your, your shirt, they're suing you for your shirt, give them your coat. If, if somebody, if a Roman soldier looks at a Jew, which they could do this, and the Jew would have to comply, and says, carry my backpack for a mile, carry my equipment for a mile, carry it too. Don't just carry it a mile, carry it too. Has, in, has anyone in here ever been slapped? Just me? A few times? It's really not that bad. It's really not that bad. There are worse things that can happen to you than getting slapped, right? Like, 
Have you ever watched a movie when a guy says something stupid and gets slapped by a girl? How many times does she generally slap him? One. One and done. And he's standing there going, oh, because he's confused, right? It's like this degrading little moment, and then it's done. And it stinks, and nobody wants to be slapped. But it's not a punch. It's not a fist fight. You're not wounded. You're slapped, and you're probably a little sad. But it could be worse. People get sued for everything they're worth. That happens every day in this country. Jesus doesn't say if you're sued for everything you're worth. Jesus says, if somebody sues you for your shirt, give them your, give them your coat. I got a closet full of shirts. I can give you a shirt. That's fine. It's just a shirt. You can sell another one. You can buy another one. It's not that big of a deal. Give them your coat. And if somebody says, carry my equipment for a mile, is that really the worst thing that happened to you today? Give them another mile. Walk two. Whatever. Jesus is talking about the little stuff. Jesus is talking about the evil that we face the majority of the time. He's not talking about the great travesties that take place in the world. He's talking about the stuff that you and I face every single day. And he's saying, so what? Lean into it. Give them more than they ask for. Because for the big stuff, for the really difficult stuff to sort out, that's not for you to handle. I have placed authorities in place for that. God has placed authorities to deal with the big stuff. If we go to Romans 13, 1 through 5, it says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. God has given us authorities. There's not an authority in place, whether it be a police officer or a king, that God didn't give the okay on. They're there for a reason. And so we are to comply. Now, I want to say that I understand there are situations where it's like, well, how does my government protect me from that? Like, what about home defense? What about self-defense? What if somebody's attacking me or somebody's attacking somebody else in a crowd and there's no police around, there's no authorities around? That's the outlier. That's different. If you're in that situation and you're armed and you can take out that threat to save human lives, to preserve human life, do it. When you read the Old Testament, it says if a thief breaks into your, sorry, if somebody breaks into your house in the middle of the night and you take their life, there is no bloodshed on your hands. You're not guilty because you're protecting the people in your house. Somebody breaks in in the middle of the night because they want to do harm and you're protecting people and you're not guilty. But those are outlier sorts of situations. For everything else, we let the authorities that have been placed there by God hash them out. That's what we should do. Now, I also understand that 
there are times when authorities don't do what they're supposed to do, right? There's police that are corrupt. There's kings that are corrupt. There's presidents that are corrupt. There's judges that are corrupt. There are people that don't do what God has called them to do. But understand this, if somebody's been placed in a position of authority by God, they are to be a minister of God's wrath. They are to be an authority placed there by God, a representative of God. And so if they are not living out biblical truths, that's on them. They have failed at that point. But that's still not necessarily up for us to just wage war immediately. And I'm not saying there's never room for that. That has to happen occasionally, but we don't ever press for that first. But those are once again outlier situations. That God's saying, look, I put the authorities there so they can handle it. But what about when they don't? What about when the authorities don't handle it? What do, what do we do then? Well, I want to look at uh, Romans 12. It says, uh, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, like I said before, if, if there's the authorities in place that aren't doing what they're doing, I think we should look at what Jesus did in the face of authorities that weren't living right. What did Jesus do when, when the Pharisees were preaching things that weren't true? Jesus looks at him and says, you, you, you claim to be sons of God. You claim to be sons of Abraham, but you're sons of hell. Your, your, your tomb's full of dead men's bones. And then Jesus would instruct them in the ways of truth and righteousness. He didn't fight them. He said, you're wrong, and here's why you're wrong. And then he laid it out, and he showed them why they were wrong, Right? Or, or what about when Jesus walks into the temple and they're selling animals for a profit? They're selling sacrifices for a profit. Jesus is mad. He starts flipping tables. He picks up a bullwhip, starts cracking it, scares all the animals out, scares the people out that are, are doing wrong, right? But he doesn't, he doesn't hurt anyone. He doesn't, he doesn't get physically violent. Maybe his actions seem aggressive and, and grandiose and over the top, but he's not hurting anyone. And I think part of that is because Jesus recognizes that vengeance isn't his. He made himself a servant. Vengeance is the Lord's. Vengeance is God's. It's for him. And we're to live that way too. We're to recognize that revenge was never something that you or I were capable of wielding. Think about the garden. So in the garden, Adam and Eve are there and they eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. And that ruined humanity. It was a burden too big to bear. That All we did was we learned the difference between good and bad. We became aware of that and that was so much more than we could handle that we are corrupt from the inside out. And I think revenge works in the same way, that it was never meant for us. 
That's meant for God. God can understand that. God can wield that. He's infinite and infinitely good and infinitely wise. And he can wield revenge. And he can understand the truth of good and evil. But things like that weren't meant for us. They were meant for God. Only he can execute it perfectly. When we try to take revenge, we do things like killing a hundred people over a puppy. We John Wick. We shouldn't John Wick. (laughs) We should let God be God. We should let him take the reins and say, no, 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 I understand how to handle this. Let me understand this. Let me take care of this. But that raises the question, what about when God doesn't serve justice in the way we feel God should serve justice. A member of this church was murdered a few days ago. Like, the thing is, the man that did it killed himself afterwards. There's no more justice to be served. But somehow things still feel empty. Like, it didn't fix it. It didn't make it right. Like, justice was served, but, like, things are still shook up. Things are still wrong. Like, things are still in suspension. We don't feel justified. And so it begs the question, why does God let bad things happen? Why does God let people die? Why does God let people get cancer? Why does God let the world be full of of death and sadness and sorrow and sickness and pain? Like, why do those things exist? Because when we talk about things like this and God being just, we expect that to be true. So why does he let those things happen? And at the end of the day, the truth of the matter is an answer that we don't always like, but it's because he loves us. I know that sounds silly. If he loves us, why why would he let bad things happen? There's this uh, Frank Turek quote that I really like, and I don't know if he said it first or if he was quoting somebody, but I'm going to paraphrase it. But he said something to the effect of, I'm afraid that God will actually serve justice, like true justice, that God will actually wipe out evil in the world that he would get rid of every source of evil. He said, and the reason that scares me is because I'm afraid that when he starts wiping out evil, he'll start with me. And that's true. It's really easy to like look at all the terrible things that everybody in the world does. But like, it's kind of like, I was thinking about this the other day. It's almost like, like, the, the the butterfly effect concept, like that a butterfly flaps its wings on this side of the world and on this side of the world through the way that that little tuft of air kind of spiral that causes a hurricane somewhere over here because of everything that takes place between that little flap of the butterfly's wings and the way it mixes with air currents and somehow turns into a hurricane. And I think that our sins like that, that my tiny little sin that I don't think anything of might just set off this person over here who then gives this person over here who's having a bad day a hard time, who then that person goes home and beats their wife. You know what I mean? Like, does it all just stack up like that, that we're all just equally guilty for every bad thing that happens in this world? And so if God was truly, truly just nothing but justice, nothing but truth, 
not a single one of us would be sitting in this room right now. But that's not all God is. See, you can't have love without truth and grace. And God shows us an absurd amount of grace. That, that not a single one of us is worthy of life because we're all sinners and we're all broken and we're all guilty. And he says, no, I love those people and I'm going to send my son to save them. That's what Jesus did. Jesus died on a cross for our sins when we didn't deserve it. And so he's telling us, look, let me worry about the big stuff. The little stuff, you can handle that. You can take a slap in the face. You can take somebody stealing a little something from you. You can take somebody saying, walk a mile further with me, carrying my stuff, and you can go that extra mile. That's the little stuff. You can handle that. The big stuff, you leave that to the authorities. And if the authorities don't take care of it, I'm taking care of it. I've got it even when it looks like I don't have it. You just have to know that. We just have to trust him. And I want to say, is God trustworthy? Well, he told his followers, Jesus told his followers, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. And he was good on that promise. So I think we can trust him on everything else. I think we can just accept that he's got this one. Maybe I don't know what's best. And so if you want to live love and go like Jesus, let God be God. Let him be God. It's not our place to take revenge. It's not our place to harbor hate and anger. It's our place to just love people. Paul says, just feed them. Just give your enemies something to eat. Just give them something to drink because that kindness, that love you show, you show them is stronger than any level of hate, than any level of revenge you could ever dish out on them. And that heaps humps of coal on top of their head when you love them. It's stronger. Let God handle the rest. He can sort it out perfectly. You can't. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.